This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I have to tell you something. Uh, I went out one time and a stranger put something in my drink. In your drink? Um, yeah, like a drug to, to make me sleepy. Shit, you gotta watch your drink in the club. Excuse me? You gotta watch your drink, you can get hurt. We're gonna quit later. Hey, it's TV's BBS. And I'm Sasha Bates. And welcome back to Shrink the Box, which is, you know the deal. We are shrinking the biggest heads in television, putting our favourite fictional characters on the therapist's couch. Me, I'm an actor. Sasha here is a psychotherapist and the expert, of course. Sash, tell us where that clip at the top was from. That was Arabella on the phone to her Italian boyfriend, Biagio, and it was Metacritic's highest rated TV show of 2020. And it was, of course, I May May Destroy You. You. The show is unflinching in its portrayal of sex and sexual assault, so we're not going to be shying away from any of that either. Yeah, it's a tough watch. Mm. I, I remember it being tough at the time, but even the rewatch, I yeah. was my skin was crawling at times. And, uh, and yeah, like going back to that clip, it's it's uh, it's just a tiny example of how economic Michaela Cole's writing is, because every single word spoken brings a, a new perspective on, on, on so many issues. Michaela famously wrote 191 drafts of the show, wow. just to get it right. Yeah. She's, she, you can tell the responsibility that she's feeling. Yeah, and it's an incredible attention to detail, and it, and it comes across as so real for that reason, I think. And it's it's exhilarating, but it's also terrifying. But it's it's a masterclass, I think, in, in how to entertain, keep your audience gripped, but also convey really viscerally a world, and it's not my world, but it really opened my eyes to what it's, it's like for the, you know, a younger generation out there. And I, I could see just how many different sorts of minefields they have mm-hmm. to traverse. You know, anyone that's out there today who's looking for work, looking for love, looking for sex, friendship, and how you navigate that. I mean, how, how anyone navigates it, really. But when you're black and a woman and you want to have sex, but you want to be safe and you want a career, but you don't want to be exploited. I mean, she's juggling so many different themes and yeah. all the ways in which we can exploit and hurt each other, but also how we can support and, and be there for each other. Absolutely. She, she sort of gives us little pointers on, on what might make a hard, like hard decisions that little bit easier. Mm. It's a remarkable show on that level. And when I was re-watching that, it struck me. I thought I could just spend time in these people's yeah. company because they feel like real black people that I know. Mm-hmm. You know, often you see black people portrayed on screen and they're either their race is completely irrelevant, fine, or it's all about their race, but they're behaving in the sort of way that is like, okay, here's the black guy. Whereas this just shows you all different levels of the the black experience, mm-hmm. which is... It's something I I just find so admirable because it's, it's scandalous, but it just so rarely mm, so happens. Rare. So coming up, we are going to look at the dangers of becoming a social media star 
when is a consensual threesome not a consensual threesome and why Michaela Cole was obsessed with under when writing this show. So like under jumpers, under beds, under the sea. Also, we're going to discover what stealthing and frotterism are. New terminology for us. And as a reminder, there's a lot of disturbing content in there, upsetting stuff, and we're going to be touching on it. Uh, there's going to be adult language. And of course, you know, plot reveals and spoilers. So just have a listen. And if it feels wrong, stop. If you don't want to find out what's happening, stop. Go and watch and come back to us. All right. Consent in action. Okay. Love you guys. Welcome to Shrink the Box. All right, Sash, how are you feeling? You ready? Yeah, I'm going to really have to strap in for this one. Oh, yeah, man. It's it's an intense one, mm. but uh, I, th- I think worth I, it. I think I'm good for it. It's definitely worth it. That's, that's the thing. It is definitely worth it. So as ever, let's kick off with a little summary. Uh, in case you've forgotten or haven't seen I May Destroy You, I mean, if you haven't, I don't know what you've been doing. You need to watch this show. Anyway, we open with Arabella, okay, who's played by the creator and writer Michaela Cole. And she's leaving Italy asking for commitment from her boyfriend uh, or lover, Biagio, who's also a drug dealer. And he's played by uh, Marwan Zotti. She's in Italy to write her second book. Clearly, her first one's been a hit with a a sort of young readership, so it's quite an exciting signing for the publishers. But she's also clearly not done any work at all. (laughs) She's just arsing around. We see that ticking clock, the uh, publishers getting on her back. So she comes back to London and pulls an all-nighter to finish it. But we see she's constantly tempted, distracted by her phone and her friends. So she decides to give in to it, goes to a a local bar uh, with some mates. Next day... She's sitting in her agent's office. She's got a cut on her head. She's feeling very sort of discombobulated. And she starts to get flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things we see is a sort of like a groin high shot of a sweaty man who's thrusting into something we do not see. But it's violent. It's gross. It's scary. Arabella or Bella, as, uh, or Ara, she's called all three things throughout She then tries to piece together what happened to her. And very soon we we know that she's been drugged and raped. And we also see how her friends fit into this, including her best mate, the uh, sort of aspiring actress Terry, or T, who's played by uh, Weruche Opia, and Kwame, who's played by Papa Asaydu. And um, we're privy to some of their sexual encounters too. And Bella tries to get a uh, fellow writer, Zane, uh, played by uh, Karen Gill, cancelled for assaulting her in a separate incident. Um, and she becomes an activist and she goes into therapy. So first impressions, Sash. She's a black Londoner. She's in her late 20s. She's a Twitter star turned novelist. We also find out that her father was separated from her mother. We learn that he was very unreliable. But most immediately for the story, um, and for us now, she has just been raped in a bar toilet after having her drink yeah. spiked. It's, it's, it's tragic. It's grim. shocking. Yeah. It's grim. And let's, let's have a, a, a little listen to some of the aftermath. Did you tell him? told him some. Some? Yeah, like 30%. What did you tell him? I told him I was spiked. Does he know we're raped? No. Does he know that he has to give his DNA? No. Okay, so yes, that is like 30%. 
That was Terry and Arabella, Michaela and Werucci in I May Destroy You, episode five. It's written and created by Michaela Cole. Uh, with story consultants Cherie Myers and Stephanie Yamsom. It's directed by Michaela Cole and Sam Miller. And we'll give you full credits, as always, for all the clips used at the end of this podcast. So, Sash, what would be the first thing you'd want to address with Arabella? I mean, I I guess we can sort of presume she's coming to you in a quite vulnerable state. Mm, Yeah, really vulnerable. She's traumatised. I mean, there's sort of different definitions of of trauma, but it can be anything that overwhelms your ability to cope. And she's not really coping because she's confused, she's chaotic, she can't make sense of these flashbacks that keep coming in. She really doesn't know what's going going on. And her memory's been affected, which is a big trauma symptom. You know, it's, it's something, unfortunately, we all now have to consider Mm. you know that potential of spiking having like blackouts like hours missing why is it so hard to pin down a timeline of events when you've been a victim of this kind of crime well we store memories in a part of the brain called the hippocampus and one of the things that trauma does trauma being like i say something that overwhelms your ability to cope when you feel that your life is threatened is it interrupts the messages that go from the thinking part of the brain the neocortex to the limbic brain which is where the emotions are felt so it means that memories can't get integrated into a, a normal timeline so that's why they sort of come in at you from from all all angles and as as well as the neuronal system being interrupted the nervous system gets completely shaken up what the nervous system does is it is the thing that kind of will affect all your hormones so your brain's not firing normally the the memories can't be slotted into their right place and mm. your nervous system is on high alert it's like you're scanning the horizon for threat all the time. You can't connect to people because in order to connect to people, your nervous system has to be in a calm, relaxed state, but it's become all jittery. So it makes it harder to connect. It makes her more hypervigilant to who is out there that's going to attack me again. And a lot of what she does, she presents as relatively normal some of the time, but then other times it's like it's affected her mind, her body, her emotions and her behaviour. She has a brilliant idea of getting the Uber receipts mm. from her, her mate who works in the city. She traces, retraces the steps of the cab yeah. to an address mm. and the door opens and it's the girl he's been cheating on his girlfriend with. Mm. But when that door opens, mm. she's just, just completely lost yeah. and she doesn't know how to express herself. She can't join the dots. She's sort of split off different bits of herself. But she can't make sense of these images. She calls them images yes. in my head. Yes. Um, and when she does finally go to the police and tries to sort of say, I think something's happened. Mm. And the policewoman says there's been an assault and she's sort of like oh no look you're putting a name on it now she doesn't want she doesn't, it. Want, to hear she doesn't want to hear it and the the policewoman also uses the word memories and she's like no no it, it's the man in my head she can't <laughs> admit that it's a memory because that would make it real and she would have to confront what it is that's happened to her so subconsciously her mind is what trying to protect Yeah, the the inability to form a cohesive picture, to have an ordered timeline, it's one of the ways that her brain is adapting to try to stave off a total collapse because a full memory flooding in in one go could be really overwhelming to her nervous system. So her brain protects her by only letting through as much reality as she can bear at any one time. And this is really helpful as she starts to slowly come to terms with the enormity of what's happened. 
over the long term, as we'll see, if she hangs on to this tendency, it can start to feel less helpful and become more of a hindrance in itself. And you can see that when the policewomen kind of help her to understand what did happen, she still tries to hide. She pulls a T-shirt up over her head, which is <laughs> like her hiding like from, from the cover. truth. Yeah. yeah, and it's I think it's the first sort of visual example of, of, you said she talked a lot about, it was important to her to explore this notion of under. And this is the first yeah. time we see her going under her T-shirt. Right. Shirt. So it's like, I can't, I can't cope. This is too much for me to have to take on board. And why would you want to take no, it on board? It's disgusting that? and horrible. But it definitely did happen and it's not going to leave her. So once no. she sort of faces the truth of what has happened, mm. how does that affect her symptoms of trauma? She tries to avoid anything that's going to remind her and she distracts. She gets onto social media. She even has more sex, anything so she doesn't have to think. But she does take some steps to help herself. I mm -hmm. mean, in a, in a way, she kind of does all the textbook things. She sees a therapist. Right. She relies on her friends. She does all the self-care and exercise. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, I think she tries to re-empower herself. All her power was taken from her when she was helpless on, on the floor of that horrible toilet. So what she needs to do is like, regain a sense of mastery and, and, and control. And one of the ways she does that is by telling her story on social media and telling other people's stories via this sort of huge social media account that, that she gains. With the second rapist, Zane, it's a very different situation. She publicly yeah. names and shames him. So this is all her trying to get control of her narrative. The people that do go that route, where do they find the strength from? As you say, everybody has to find their own way through it. Mm. And empowerment for one person can be like not telling anyone, saying, this is my thing. I'm yeah. only going to tell a yeah. few people. I'm choosing to hold this for me. It's no one else's business. And for other people, it's almost like the anger against what's happened. You can put that to good use. You can turn it into like campaigning for new laws or like, as she does, for people to take accountability. Mm -hmm. Anybody saying, this is how you need to do it, whether it's a therapist or a doctor or a policewoman, is disempowering you. Yes. And what you need is to re-empower yourself in whatever way that means for you. Feels like even more pertinent now, this series. I mean, yeah. so some of the facts and figures I've read about rape and, and sexual assault and mm. the, the lack of justice know, out awful. there. I mean, shows like this, the fact that it's wildly successful here and in the States, yeah. it's unusual yeah. for a British show is really heartwarming because yeah. it means that people give a shit. And on top of that, it's black as well. So I'm like extra biased about it being as good as it is. Well, exactly. I mean, the power dynamic is not just like rapists over victims. Yeah, it's, it's, it's deeper than white that. society over black society. Absolutely. It's men over, men over women. women. It's yep. um, publishers over writers. I yeah. mean, she looks yeah, at yeah. it from every... Every angle. Woman's a genius. Um, she is absolute genius. And so as we learn Bella's crusade to, to right all these wrongs mm. in the story, they start to work against her. Mm. So what we're going to do after the break, let's learn about why Bella seriously needs a social media detox and also how she discovers a way forward out of her pain. So listen, we'll be back right after this. Unless, of course, you're a subscriber, in which case we'll be back quicker than you can say Ego Death Bar. Hey. 
Hey, it's Ben here. Shrink the Box is sponsored by BetterHelp. And most of us are very busy. We find it hard to fit in extra, well, extra anything into our day. But what if you had another hour every day? Imagine that. I'd start by working through the massive list of TV shows you guys have got me watching for Shrink. Thing is, we'd all love more time. But actually, if something's really important to us, we prioritize it and make time. And therapy can help you identify what matters to you and how you can do more of it. So if you're thinking of starting, give BetterHelp a try. I know, I use it. It's great. You get matched with a registered therapist. You can switch if it's not clicking for, for no additional charge. It's all online. And that saves you those precious minutes, right? So with over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash shrink the box today to get 10% off your first month. That's better, H-E-L-P.com slash shrink the box. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back in business. So, Sash, talk to me about Bella and social media. She turns to it in a big, big way. Let's talk about the unhealthy side of that for her. I mean, she's seeking the connection, the dopamine hit of getting more likes, but it isn't real. What she needs is real people around her. I think what social media does is it fuels this binary thinking of I'm right, you're wrong. It's very easy to like get tribal about it. It can be a bit of a safety net. It can be quite soothing when you can absolutely say this is right and I am the victim and I know the answers. It can be a way, again, that can feel like taking control because it's creating a world that's safe. Absolutely. A bit like when we've seen it with some several of our other other clients, like Beth makes her world safe by making it the size of a chessboard and moving pieces around Mm. and social media sort of a version of that. But ultimately, it is all empty and it's just like another addiction. She's chasing that dopamine hit in the same way that we might chase it with drugs or alcohol or any other sort of avoidance or distraction activity. So what works in the short term can often become the problem in the long term because the problem it's there to disguise and then it becomes the problem. Yeah, I mean, I had a year of 
complete sobriety from mm. everything wow. in um, 2017. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the same period, I just quit social media. That mm. was the last thing I had, really. Mm. I was dealing with, you know, intense levels of depression. Once I, you know, I'd started to combat the depression and, you know, sought help and in therapy. And I suddenly realised, oh, my God, Twitter is, is making me feel depressed again. Yeah. I'd wake up and check it. And the first thing I would read would be, you know, some celebrity making a comment and then the first reply underneath would be telling them to, like, I hope your kids get hit by a car or something. I thought, mm. why do I want to start my day this way? Yeah. yeah, it is an instant fix. And it's when the difficult feelings start to come up, rather than address them because they are difficult and, and painful, it's easy to reach for the drink or the drugs or the phone mm. and distract yourself from having to connect to the to the feelings. So it's completely understandable why she wouldn't want to go there because she's she's traumatized. But yeah, like you say, long term, it's gonna feed all that kind of I'm right, you're wrong, you don't know anything, and that just feeds hatred um mm. and division. It's not real. I mean you and I have spent more than half our lives without yeah. any of this technology. Yeah. I May Destroy You sort of reminds you that young people just don't have that option, that they've right. grown up with it. Yeah, I remember watching a documentary, The Social Dilemma, on Netflix, and they interviewed the creator of Instagram. And he was talking about the technology behind the, mm. the swipe to refresh thing, mm. like dropping the screen down so it refreshes. Yeah. And he said that, that everything around the thinking behind that was a akin to you know heroin dealing essentially yeah, like yeah. getting someone hooked on what might be next yeah that's not enough so we go again keep going and the interviewer said do you you've got teenage kids do they use it he said fuck no mm. let's hear a bit from uh, arabella actually along these lines hello congratulations oh hello. my god thanks for coming today tell me you guys get to leave yeah. we do <laughs> Bless you. Okay. We need to be pregnant based on our scars. Literally, your birth is my girls. Ooh, we'll do a YouTube channel and an Insta page. Obviously. Pregnant based. Oh my God, do we endorse us? Mm -hmm. I love it. Oh, are you gonna like film each other's births? Us? I don't think that's our. Uh, okay, that's our that's shit. We're kind of trashy mm -hmm. like that. Though. Yeah, Ooh. we probably should. Yes, no, of course, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so it's uh, Arabella. So she's she's in the um, she's in the interview room with the uh, the police that are a couple, and um, you know immediately turning the thing into what it might become on social media, rather mm. than you know what's actually happening in the moment. Mm. Um, and she does that in the doctor's office as well. I mean, does. she's in the process of getting a diagnosis for her blood pressure. <laughs> she has to stop him talking and uh, do a little Insta post about yeah. what's going on. I mean, she just can't stop. So we talked a bit about fake love from social media with Bella. But what about tea, mm -hmm. you know? Because she's like really loyal and supportive and, and Bella doesn't seem to see it. Bella's world's become very narrow and very single-minded and that is a way of keeping herself safe and not having to question because if she's controlling the world, then things can't, can't right. get at her. And like I said, trauma's very physiological. It, it resides in the nervous system and that's where we have our ability to connect or to feel people are not safe. So... If that's all, all been shaken up, she can't really connect with T in the same way. And they've clearly, we can see from the flashbacks that they've been friends since like 
forever since they were they were kids. And she's sort of taking her for granted a little bit, I mm. think. But she also doesn't really know who to trust because she finds out later that actually T was slightly involved and that T almost gave permission to say, oh, just leave her there. So everybody that she thought was was there for her is in some way implicated. But that's why I think it's such an interesting show about friendship, because we're all flawed and we all want to be great yeah. friends. And they have this phrase that they use there that they use a lot about your birth is my birth and your death is my death. And it's like, <laughs> you know, we're, we're sisters to, to the end. And Bella screws up because she does become selfish and she does not see how, how lovely T is being. And a lot of T's loveliness is guilt, I think, because she yeah, feels yeah. she feels implicated. But I think it shows us that friendship can't be taken for granted and you do have to work at it as well. You have to like work at any relationship and that's going to be hard when your ability to connect has been shaken up by trauma. Absolutely. There's a line in the show where one of the characters says to Arabella, I thought you were writing about consent. Mm. And Arabella says, yeah, so did I. Mm. And it's, it's at the heart of this show, underneath everything else. Let's just have a listen to this, this clip here. Bob found the line of being neither in one place or another and saw how in this grey area, where nothing was quite clear, no one could be clear. We can't articulate, we fuddle our words. We couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was he did that we felt was so wrong. So yeah, Bob thinks you're crazy. Yeah, he thinks he's the smartest man in the room who knoweth all things because Bob has observed the detail. We have to start observing Bob. Unbelievable yeah. that that exists in a, yeah. a quotes unquote mainstream mm. television show because mm. it's just... Is right there. The truth of what she's saying is, yeah. it got me thinking about these guys that, you know, get accused of doing X, Y, and Z, and they flat out deny it. A mm. hundred mm. counts against them. Mm. When when I hear that, I start thinking, well, maybe he believes it. That's the thing. That's why exploitation and consent is such a tricky thing because what one person believes is consent, another person doesn't believe it's consent. And it, it does become sort of he said, she said. Mm. Obviously, the first rape in the toilet where she was drugged, that's clear cut. There's no question yep. that was rape. The other incidents that happened to her when she's having sex consensually with Zane, halfway through, without her knowledge, he takes the condom off. She learned and, and I learned that that's what stealthing, that's what stealthing means. He claims that he thought she knew what he was doing. Mm. Is he claiming that or did he genuinely think that? We don't know. Does he know? I'm yeah. not and I'm not sure. But to her, mm -hmm. I might have given consent for the first bit. I did not give consent to that. So it's like, at what point does it become non-consensual? Which also the other really nuanced and, and tricky consent thing is Terry willingly goes into a threesome mm -hmm. with two men in Italy that she thinks it's just sort of organically happens that yeah. she's met these two guys in a bar and she's chosen to take them back. Then over the course of the series, you get these little clues that actually she was played. They knew each other. They set Absolutely. her up to yeah. think it was her idea. And that changes retrospectively everything that she thought about that situation. It's not easy. It's all in that grey, murky yeah, area. Yeah, absolutely, because if those two guys were challenged earlier in her thing, before she knew that, yeah. she would have gone, hey, leave them alone. Yeah. Like, I wanted to do that. Exactly. So, yeah, you're right. The, the levels of nuance. But the fact that this show even gets us to think about that stuff. But it also shows that 
that grey area is really tricky, which is why it's so much safer to recede into I'm right, you're wrong, and why that whole binary nature of social media is so appealing to her and why ultimately she can't stay with that. I mean, there's a really good episode, a Halloween episode, where mm-hmm. they visually depict that Bella is dressed in black. She's like a black devil. And T is dressed in white like a white angel. And you kind of see that... Bella's sort of tipped over into being a bit of a monster. She's become so convinced in her own rightness, her own victimhood, her own kind of, no, I'm the one that was wronged and therefore I've got to call everybody else out. There's a psychoanalytic analyst, one of the first women, actually, Melanie Klein, and she identified this as a a sort of a developmental phase that children go through. It's called splitting. A bit like with fairy tales. You've got the good, normally dead mum and the evil living stepmum. And it's always very easy to know who is the goody and who is the baddie. And splitting is what we do as children because we haven't got the maturity to work in the grave. That's a developmental phase that we have to pass through from from black and white thinking to more complex thinking. She also has to move from that quite basic childlike split phase, the ability to live in the complex, to live in, live in the grey. Mm. But then it feels less safe. Absolutely. Because she then has to admit that she's been wrong, that she's hurt Kwame, that she's hurt T. Which is a totally different position. Yeah. Speaking of Kwame, this term frotterism. Yeah. What, what can you tell us about that? <laughs> it was another new one a new to one me. On I've learned a lot from watching this, yeah. this show. So Kwame consensually has sex with a guy that he meets online and then at the end he's trying to leave and this guy throws him on the bed and indulges in frutterism which is, I think sort of dry humping is how it's described right. and Kwame's not consenting to that but he feels again he chose to go in the room he had already had sex with the guy mm. But he realises actually that wasn't okay. goes to report it and has almost the opposite experience to Arabella, where she was treated very well by those two policewomen and they took her seriously and they made her feel safe. Kwame gets a male police officer who's just so... Dismissive. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's tragic. And he makes Kwame feel stupid. He's like, well, what exactly is it that you're reporting? And so Kwame, quite understandably, says, oh, don't don't bother. But the, the other thing is... If we've been abused early in life, we don't always know that we've got the option to say no. So that's another kind of consent. That's very true because the line has been crossed. We've experienced it. We've sort of moved on with that as the norm. Yeah. And when it happens again, you just go, yeah, well, that's kind of what I get. That's what happens to me. Yeah. I don't have enough value. I'm not allowed to say no to anything. So if I say no, I'll get hit or they just won't like me. People can become very sort of people pleasing. Mm. So it's not just about giving permission to the other person. It's almost like giving permission to yourself to be able to say no. And if you haven't been brought up in a, an environment where you're allowed to say no to anything, then that consent line is really blurred. Yeah. And it can feel really shaming to say no to something. Big time. Now, we, we touched on Kwame's you know, situation there with another man, but he also has a situation with a girl. Mm. Yeah, that's another um, which interesting throws one. up uh, some some racial politics, mm. which I found fascinating and again controversial. And there's homophobia in there, and there's sexual politics, but race is really prevalent. Mm. Um, this part of her dating profile says something like, "I love black guys," or something. Like this. Yeah. this is this is stuff I've experienced in in my own life. Mm. But yeah, it starts to come in a little bit more. And, and what do you think, Michaela's trying to? 
show us with this stuff? Well, again, I think she's sort of showing all the different ways in which people can be objectified and, and exploited. What was it like for you to see Kwame be objectified in that way? Well, it was a horrible reminder of, of times when I've been fetishized. And, and, you know, a lot of black people would have been through this and mixed race people as well, where it's sort of you become like a sexual fantasy because of the unknown mm. is something that you haven't tried before mm. uh, so then we start to get treated like a flavor of ice cream or something mm. so, yeah. you know rather than a human being and of course all our bodies really if we're just talking about sex phys the, just the physicality mm. of it all bodies are the same so mm. it's a nonsense because if you grew up mm. around people of color if you always had friends people of color people of color in your family if you were attracted mm. by coincidence yeah. to someone who happened to be a person of colour, you would never say those things. No. You just It wouldn't even come into your head. I found it kind of refreshing for her to touch on that, the othering. It comes up so much in so many different ways in this show. There was one bit where... She says, oh, yeah, no, feminism didn't really mean much to me. I was too busy being poor and black. And you kind of think, I mean, hilarious because she's such a brilliant writer, yeah. but also, oh, my God, of course, yep. you know, being able to have these sort of kind of like highfalutin ideas of, you know, how do, how do I kind of individuate and be my best self when actually you're being put down and you've got no money and, and got you've, you've got other other issues that are going to take precedence. There's another sort of therapeutic theory. Abraham Maslow had something called the hierarchy of needs, where he said that you can only attend to those higher things. First, you've got your physiological needs. You've got to be able to breathe and be fed yeah, and watered. And yeah. yeah. And then you've got on top of that, you've got the ability to find a job and have that need met. And then you get to look at love and belonging. And then once you've got the love and belonging one sorted, then you might have a bit of energy left over to Absolutely. think about your self-esteem. And then you might start to get into self-actualization and being, being the best self. But if you haven't got the base of the pyramid, if you're feeling unsafe... You're not going to start thinking, oh, what is the what is the state of you know women today? <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's a really interesting sort of on this subject. There's a really interesting character, Penny, who is the publisher, who is black. And mm. uh, initially, Bella's kind of like delighted. Yeah, like, oh my God, you're black. A black <laughs> publisher, this is great. You're a successful black woman. But Henny is so awful on so many levels. And I wondered how you responded to her, having been delighted at such a huge black cast. And then you get this like hideous woman. Honestly, I thought it was hilarious and brilliant. I was so glad not to see a kind of sisterhood thing mm. going on yeah. because that's the real world. Yeah. Not every black person is nice because they're black. Yeah. Not every white liberal is nice because they're white and liberal. Yeah. Like it ran the full gamut and mm. it was great. It brought a smile to my face. It reminded me of a sketch by Key and Peele to biracial comedians in the States. They had a sketch about a... Uh, uh, a white a cappella group at oh, a yeah. college, you know. Uh, yeah, like the and glee lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they've got this one black member who's like just as nerdy as them and, you know, loves loves the uh, the club and stuff. And then they do some new recruits and one of the new recruits is also black <laughs> and also really nerdy. Mm. Whenever they're left alone, they're like, yo, motherfucker, I'm the only one here, right? <laughs> I've, been, I've, been working this, I've been working this for years. You can't just go. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. But, it, it, you know, it's sort of making yeah. a serious point that there are these places yeah. that we're not expected to be seen. Yeah. And if 
there's two of us in that space. Mm. It's not necessarily, yeah, it's not necessarily, <laughs> yay, there's another one. Yeah. It, it, it can be yeah. this this sad hang-up that we've got where we almost look at that person as a direct yeah. rival. Yeah. You know, this show, it makes us think about all of these things because it has this overarching approach of like, we're going to talk about power. Yeah. yeah. In all shapes and forms. Yeah. You know, how you can wield it, how you can lose it, how you can regain it, yeah. how you can abuse it. Yeah. Let's think back into into therapeutic terms. Bella obviously suffered devastating trauma. How is she making progress? It involves having to face the pain. She can't keep running away from it. And... She's talked a lot about this under. When she gets the bin bags full of the clothes that the police took, she shoves them under her bed. And she's in a session with the counsellor who draws this diagram where she says, look, this is what you've done. You've drawn a line. You've allowed into consciousness certain things and you've kept out of consciousness other things and they're all under the line. And I think the bin bags under the bed show that she's kind of tried to bury mm. so much. Bella starts to make progress when she pulls the bin bags out from under the bed and she's confronted not just with the night of the rape but other memories like the memory of an abortion, the memory of her dad's infidelity, of her dad's unreliability, all these different bits of her life that have never really made sense, that have been kept separate, that have been kept siloed, start to come back to her. And there's a moment where she deletes her social media and she just sits there surrounded by the bin bags and you can see that she's stopped looking outside of mm. herself and she's just stopped. She's got a moment. She's just being with the, yeah, I've dealt with some shit. Um, I've actually really found this painful. And it's that confrontation with, with the truth, with all those different bits of herself. And there's a really lovely moment where she makes up with T after the sort of the argument of her being so convinced of her, her rightness. She can acknowledge that she was wrong. She apologised to Kwame for being horrible to him. She apologised to T. And she and T stand there hand in hand surveying like the, the bin bag yeah. shit. And it's like, yeah, hand in hand with my friend, acknowledging that you fucked up, I fucked up. We're both selfish people. We're both flawed. And of course we are because we're real. But our friendship can withstand that. And together we're going to go into the... The, the bin bags of truth. And then she can start to move through it because she's integrated all those different split off parts into one whole, yeah, I'm flawed and I'm scared, but I'm also powerful and I'm also great at certain things, not so great at other things. Sometimes we do just need to switch everything else off yeah. to, to let let the mind breathe. Like you say, she's she's pulled out the, the carnage of her life and looked at it. And then there's this bit at the end where she goes back to visit Biagio mm. In Italy, her, her her Italian lover, and he kicks her out. She wades into the sea mm. and disappears under. Yeah, another under, under the wave. Yeah, I think that's a really lovely way to sort of end it, and sort of I think the lead up to that is really important as well because the whole story really has been about her trying to write the book and not being able to gather mm. the bits of her story and it all mm. being fragmented as her mind has been fragmented, and she finally gets to the point where she's got all the different chapters with the dad's infidelity and the abortion and, and they're all on post-it notes and she finally, she's moving them all around the room and they finally make a coherent narrative and there's finally a coherent story and all the bits 
are joined up. And like I said before, the neocortex and the limbic had stopped talking to each yeah. other. And now she's sort of making sense. She's got her storyline. And in order to like finish the storyline, she goes back to Italy to back where it began. And she now knows this is me. This is me with all, all those bits in, intact. And it is a lovely kind of like baptism metaphor. She goes under the water mm, and the she's rebirth. sort of like reborn more complete because she's allowed in all these dark bits that she didn't want to look at because it was easier to say, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm the victim, you're the yeah. shithead. Uh, <laughs> and thank <laughs> um, fuck for that moment because there's, there's some bleak elements of that yeah. show that leave you feeling, oh my God, yeah. how do how do any of us manoeuvre through life with, with, with yeah. these uh, intense pressures? But we all do, that's we the do. thing. We do, we find a way. Yeah, and we do it by letting all the bits play their role really. Mm. All the post-it notes kind of get to add up to cohesion, even mm. the bits we don't want in there really. Incredible show. So glad we got to do Bella God, so early on in this season. And thank you to everyone out there for your suggestions for other characters you want to see covered. Excitingly, we have emails from all over the world, which just brings such a, a, a smile to my face. I've got one here, actually, from Sally Maud, who says, almost any character from Better Call Saul, please. Yeah, and I agree it. with you so mm. much, Sally, because I, I'm obsessed with that series. Kim Wexler... Uh, or Chuck McGill, mm. um, her favourite too. Wendy from Ozark. Wendy is on our list. Yeah, she was one of my first suggestions yeah. when we started putting this show together. Don't worry about that, Sally. She says, best of luck with this ingenious pod. Mm -hmm. uh, looking forward to further Psycho Babble or perhaps Psycho Witter. <laughs> and all the way from Brisbane in Australia, Joe says she'd love to hear Jax Teller from Sons of Anarchy on The Therapist's Couch. I've not watch that show no, so on, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it on my very long little <laughs> Apple Notes page of shit that I've just never <laughs> got around to watching it's the one about an outlaw motorcycle club so yeah thanks Joe hit us up if you have more at shrinkthebox at somethingelse.com that's shrinkthebox at something without the G else.com and, and make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts Stitcher Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts to get new episodes and find out what we're doing. And if you want to listen to Shrink the Box ad-free, you know what to do. Subscribe to Extra Takes. Uh, your subscription also gets you ad-free episodes from our friends at Kermit and Mayo's Take and access to their exclusive subscriber-only episodes. And they've got tons of extra stuff man they've got like three or four extra bits they do each week so there's loads to enjoy and you can start your free trial now by clicking try free at the top of the shrink the box show page on apple podcasts or by visiting extratakes.com just time to thank our production team production management is lily hambly the assistant producer is bashak Ayrton. social media is jonathan Emieri. the studio and mix engineer is jay beale the senior producer is Selena Ream and executive producer is Simon Paul. Sasha, drumroll, <laughs> who are we looking at next week? This is going to be a Netflix drama from 2015. Mm -hmm. It ran for three seasons and it is set in the stunning Florida Keys. Okay. If you've seen it, you've probably raved about it, particularly the performance of the brilliant Ben Mendelsohn. Take a listen. I always thought the greatest thing that happened to me was being born a Rayburn. 45 years ago this weekend, me and my Sally opened the doors to this place. I'd like to say a few words about my kids. There's Meg, Kevin, John, and last but not least is Danny. 
The one who got away, you might say. It's never worked out with you being here, has it? Your son. Bad things follow you around, don't they? Very bad things. Mm. Yeah, is Bloodline. Now, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of people who've seen it, but I'm also sure that there's a few that haven't. I'm, I'm always raving about this show, and I'm always surprised how many people have, have not cottoned on to it. And it's, it's right there on Netflix. Most people have got Netflix, so it's kind of easy to find if you can't find it there. And obviously, justwatch.com will always have your back. But yeah, Bloodline is gripping. And, and the first season in particular, I think the first season is almost flawless television. So I'm going to presume from that clip, we must be covering Ben Mendelsohn's character, Danny. Yeah, we are. I mean, Danny is so fascinating. He is the black sheep who returns home to this idyllic beachfront hotel to the Rayburn family, a highly respected family. And yeah, with his return, everything goes pear-shaped. And what what are we going to be looking at sort of from a therapeutic angle with Danny? Well, I mean, there's lots in there. I think it's really interesting to look at how difficult it is to move beyond the roles that get assigned to us mm. at, at an early age and about the the sibling hierarchies and the, the stuckness and how siblings can sort of make and shape us, really. But it's also about being haunted by the past. It's about guilt. It's about family secrets. And if something looks too good to be true, then it probably is. Yeah. And it also stars some like Hollywood, like <laughs> heavyweights. <laughs> Sam Shepard, Sissy Sissy Spacek. I mean, (laughs) Kyle Chandler, I just love. There's an underlying threat to him. I don't know if you've ever seen the um, Jason Bateman movie Game Night, which is a hilarious comedy action movie. But he plays his uh, perfect older brother, funnily enough. And you realise very quickly that there's there's something underneath that Mm. going on. So I think Kyle is great at that so he's brilliant in it too two of the creators of this show Todd and Glenn Kessler were writers on little quiz question for you what would it be the Sopranos yeah. <laughs> you know we start as we mean to go on Sopranos was our, <laughs> our first episode but the writing the is tree. so phenomenal and what all those writers learned on that show they went off uh, into the wilderness and worked on shows like Bloodline and and of course Mad Men and and many others. It's a good good breeding ground for good good writers. Mm, All right, it's God. about that time. So I'm going to go and recap on uh, season one of Bloodline on Netflix. Uh, pretend I'm on that Florida beach drinking that ice cold beer mm. around that uh, red hot alligator. Um, <laughs> oh no, hopefully no. Well, hopefully no alligators and hopefully no Danny Rayburn either. He might interrupt the the idyll somewhat. Yeah, or any of those Rayburns, to be fair. Absolute nightmare. Well, more of that next time. See you then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, as always, it is time for us to celebrate the people behind the scenes on these incredible shows. Let's never forget the important people that make these shows so special. So I May Destroy You was, of course, created and written by Michaela Cole. And the story consultants were Sherry Myers, Stephanie Yamson, and Ronke Adekaloja. At the top of the show, we had Arabella on the phone to Biagio, who's played by Marwan Zotti. That was episode five. It just came up. The clip where Bella and Terry, who's played by uh, Waruche, appear, congratulate Officer Beth and Officer Funmi on their pregnancies, played by Sarah Niles and uh, Mariah Gale. That's from episode eight, Line Spectrum Border. 
The production companies for I May Destroy You are Faulkner Productions, the BBC and HBO. Thanks very much to the BBC, actually, for the clips. And thank you guys for listening.